This is the third Sunday in Lent, and on this Sunday we have three readings. It's kind of an embarrassment of riches. We have a reading from Exodus, uh, Moses striking the the rock and the water gushing out when the people were complaining uh, in the wilderness. And uh, we have an actually understandable passage from Romans, (laughs) Romans 5 which talks about character and some of the things about the work of the Holy Spirit, also connected to the, bap- to, to the Lenten themes of baptism and uh, the sacraments. And then we have the famous story of Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman and a long gospel, but it's about the living water, which is again another baptismal image uh, f- for the church. But it's really about the processes of conversion and how we understand what that means. And since repentance, reconciliation, and godly motives are three of the most important themes in the season of Lent, all of those themes are in some way in each of these readings. So maybe I can connect them and maybe I can't, but we'll just see. When I was in seminary, uh, we were taught something... uh, called uh, the documentary hypothesis with regard to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, or the Torah. And what it meant was that those five books all used four sources. J, E, P, D. So I've tried to keep up and stay interested in this, and I was, this week when I read uh, some commentaries, uh, uh, the, the uh, documentary hypothesis is not exactly under fire, but uh, there have been some changes and nuances to this theory with regard to uh, the formation of the Pentateuch. I just mentioned this because I'll probably have more to say about it uh, some other time. Uh, J is the Yahwist source. All the, the references to God is... Uh, anthropomorphized, you know, Yahweh is the one that shuts the door of the ark. Uh, it's a, a very physical, uh, in-history God. The Elohist source is the source of God up in the mountain with Moses in the cloud, the sort of spiritual God. The P is the priestly source. So whenever you read in the Pentateuch about how the ark should be built and what the wood should be and how you paint it, and what the vestments of the priests are, and how they're supposed to look when they perform uh, their priestly duties and so forth. That's all there. They're all interested also in genealogy, in the priestly source, and how that works. And then finally, the Deuteronomist is the one who's uh, the law, and how we understand what uh, the law means, and uh, what we're going to do with uh, moving forward as a people, and uh, make some sort of relationship between Uh, laboring for justice in the world and uh, faithfulness to uh, uh, being part of the covenant and how we do that. But today, we have what is known as one of the murmuring texts. I love these texts. Parish Life, 1250 BCE. They're wandering in the wilderness... They've left, you know, hindsight's always 2020. 
They're in the wilderness and they're upset with Moses because he's brought them out here. And they're worried and anxious and nervous about the fact that there's no water. And what are we going to do? And how are we going to solve that problem? And it must have been Moses' fault for uh, tricking us into coming and doing this. I mentioned this uh, about a year ago, maybe, but uh, uh, Colonel Jerry Witherspoon, uh, a great Episcopalian in this diocese, he died a few months ago. He one time got interested in this exodus from Egypt into the Promised Land. And because of his military training, he decided that he was going to figure out what, uh, how much time would it take with what the biblical witness says about the numbers of the people who left and where they ended up. How long would it take them to get there? Right? So in the Bible... It says that they were wandering in the wilderness for 40, 40 years. And whenever you read it, that number in the Bible, it means a long time. So 40 days is a long time. 40 years is a long time. So he calculated this based on his military training and getting everybody, men, women, and children, the animals, all of the supplies. How do you do this? And he said he figured that they could get to where they were going in three weeks. <laughs> Now, the reason that that's important is that it is a testimony to what the the, the biblical writers are trying to say about our own circuitous ways of getting to the goal, right? And this is both personal in terms of us inside getting in a hamster wheel and doing this kind of thing about trying to figure it all out and what are we going to do and we're wandering around and what are we going to do? Well, they're wandering around and they're belly aching now because they have no water. So Moses is upset and he tells God that he's upset and why, why it's not his fault. This is what's happened. We're out here and here's the situation. So God tells him what to do. He said, you get some of the elders and you're going to go out ahead of the people. And you're going to now find some water with them using the stick that you use to split the Red Sea. And so when they do that, they hit a, a, a spot, a rock, and the water gushes out. Early Christians are going to read this text as being a type for baptism. And it will appear again in some of the lections for Holy Week. Maybe not in this cycle, but later on, as one of the things that uh, we read about that they do this. So here's what, what, what is important about this. I heard a, a great lecture a number of years ago from Herbert O'Driscoll, who was the dean of Christ Church Cathedral in Vancouver. And he said that uh, Moses, this is a passage about leadership. And in fact, all of the murmuring texts are about leadership. How the leaders turn the attention of the people from the place of remembered good times to the future, where they will go and follow him and receive a new self-understanding and a deeper and fuller understanding of God's purposes for them as they live, a new identity as a people. And if you stop to think about it, 
uh, people who are good leaders can, can do that. They have the ability to do that, to transfer our focus from the place of remembered good times. I used to think that the word romantic had to do with, uh, you know, love, love, and all this stuff around romance. But in literature, I think romantic means, Dr. McNeil will be able to tell me better, or tell us better, is that there was a time in the past that's preferable to the one we're in now. So Moses is contending with this. Uh, no doubt a, um, a Hebrew world of uh, the seven last words in the Episcopal Church, which are, we've never done it that way before. <laughs> So we read texts like this because they have something to say to us about how our focus needs to change and how we need to look to the future where we have the biblical guarantee that it is going to be what is promised. As people of faith, we believe it. So Paul in Romans today, in chapter 5, is talking about uh, the, the issues around justification by faith. I've mentioned this just as a footnote that um, a whole lot of Pauline studies now suggest that the centerpiece of Paul's theology is not justification by faith, but participation in God. Won't run that into the time. But he's saying about since we are justified, here is what is going to happen. Some of the things that we can look forward to, but what will be part of this picture may be some things that we're not looking forward to. And remember, he's saying this in the context of a discussion about the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness to the promised land so that they are moving from a situation of bondage to a situation of freedom. And in the course of this movement, there is going to be suffering and there's going to be adversity and difficulty. And Paul says suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us through baptism. God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us. So he's really speaking about the processes of God working in each human being and working in the people of God as it leads us to the place now where we see the good result. Uh, I've spent an enormous part of my life trying to avoid suffering. Thinking that it, it, it is a good idea. A symptom relief is what I'm looking for. <laughs> And that's the culture we're in now, right? Symptom relief, not the hard work. And when we talk about suffering, Father Thomas Keating would say, suffering can be understood as a means of purification. When we hear stuff like that, it just doesn't, we go, well, <laughs> right? But it is. And it enables you now to realign yourself in terms of what it is that's important, you know. When you get very sick or you're in the hospital or things happen, 
uh, you begin to think about things in a different way. You know, things change in terms of what their importance is, about their importance, I guess is the best thing to say. So Paul is saying that through the process of the Spirit working, it brings peace, hope, participation in the risen life of Christ, and the importance of the sacramental life of the church, particularly baptism and Eucharist, which are the two main pillars in the sacramental system in our tradition as Episcopalians. So we move from that declaration about the importance of the consequences of justification to the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. The Samaritans were the people who were left behind uh, when the Babylonian captivity occurred. So when the Jews from Jerusalem were taken in captivity by the Babylonians and went to Babylon for a fairly significant period of time, the Samaritans stayed where they were. They'd already begun to have a different understanding of how they would uh, understand the keeping of the law, the location of their sacred site, which is Mount Gerizim. It It isn't Jerusalem. And their practices were somewhat different. And as time went on, and when the captivity ended and the Jews were coming back, uh, they had a, a, a full estrangement between the Samaritans and the Jews. And as the result of this, the idea that Jesus would be sitting at a well with a Samaritan woman speaking to her was unthinkable. Absolutely unthinkable. Fortunately, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food, it says. So they weren't around to say, Rabbi, this is a bad idea. Don't do this. So he's there with her. The most amusing part of this uh, gospel for me is when uh, Jesus says to her, you are correct that you have no husband now. You have had five husbands, and the man you are living with is not your husband. And her response is, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) But Jesus says some significant things to her in the course of the living water. And what is important about things, the water that doesn't just slake your thirst, but gives you, satisfies your thirst in perpetuity. In the Johannine community, that would have been baptism, the waters of baptism. In the original language, where we read in the NRSV, living water, it's a a word that means water that comes from an inexhaustible source, not a well, but like an underground stream that continues to run always. And so he's describing to her what the living water is. And as a result of this, uh, she's converted. And she goes back into the town and says, I've met somebody who's told me everything, said to me everything I've ever lived through. And so we have several parts to the the conversion process. Being accepted and received in one's vulnerable, sinful, or shameful state. Being listened to and taken seriously seriously. Through, though the listener knows all the facts, having one's deepest hunger fed, being loved for who one is and invited to become greater, sharing one's experience with others, the townspeople, 
who respond and becoming then part of the community of believers. This process of conversion is taken up in uh, great Christians throughout history who write about their own conversion. I'm thinking principally of Augustine, who speaks uh, in his writings about his own conversion. And it's very similar to this, how he describes what it is. The feeling of unease, the feeling of being knocked off your pins, uh, being listened to by God, finding that you are now moving in a direction to join this power, and then believing uh, that you are connected to uh, the other. Father Thomas Keating says the process of the spiritual life for people is, uh, and if we go through the, the developmental psychology, he, he uses that, but we won't do that now. He talks about the um, perception of yourself. That's what comes first. I, myself. And then you realize that there is the other with a capital O. And you believe yourself to be the other. And as you begin to sense that presence, you discover as you mature in your spirituality that you and the other are one. So you're part of the big O. Right? That's very easy to speak of in terms of the process, but that's what his whole uh, centering prayer, contemplative uh, spirituality is about, coming to the realization that that is so, and the liberating feeling that, it, that, that attaches to it. So, this week in Lent, since it's a time of uh, self-examination and so forth, uh, uh, think about uh, your place of remembered good times. And know that God is pointing you always this way forward. Moses said, look at me, look at me, and look at me good. Okay? And we're going to go here. And you're going to follow me. And that's how we're going to find out about ourselves as we go. It took them 40 years in the biblical witness to get to where they were supposed to be when they could have done it in three weeks. And I suspect that that's probably true for most of us, don't you think? <laughs> we have a tendency to make things a bit more complicated than they really are. <laughs> so, we're now moving to a, a new self-definition and a new and fuller, deeper understanding of God's purposes for us. But also think about um, you, you're a God that loves you and accepts you unconditionally. And that helps the process of, along. For, for Paul and, and others who uh, read him, when they talked about justification and the power of faith to save, it took their breath away. They couldn't, they couldn't believe that that was, would be something that would have, have power. And then think a little bit about the processes of conversion at work in your life. Don't just think about it in religious terms. But, you know, whatever it is that uh, you got converted to in your vocation or in your relationships or whatever, and how that has great power for the future. Amen. Amen.